If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. Welcome back to the Change Physician Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Melissa Cady, joined by my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, with our awesome guest, Dr. Maisha Claiborne, who's joining us from Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm really excited to be on today. Wonderful. Well, we always want to start at the beginning of someone's story, and especially with the Change Physician. When it came to going into medicine, what was your reason for even thinking about going into medicine? Well, it's an interesting thing. Uh, people that I've talked to when I, when I interview people, they always have some kind of story that's inspiring. But for me, it was an eighth grade writing assignment. And it was very random, actually. I, um, we, were assi- we were assigned to write to colleges. And um, I wrote Emory University. And as I was looking through, I was looking at cities that, I was a very logical kid, that were far enough away so that maybe my mom couldn't come every weekend, but close enough that if I really need to get home, I could. And Atlanta landed right in front of me. And I saw Emory School of Medicine and I thought, huh, medical school. And and, and the name just sounded good, Emory School of Medicine. And so I decided to write Emory. Now, at the time, I wasn't, that wasn't the moment for me. I just thought I'm gonna write this letter. This was an assignment, but guess what? They wrote me back. And I thought to myself, well, then I guess I'm going to medical school. Now, I didn't go to Emory Medical School. I ended up going to Emory undergrad. But that was like that moment. It was just a decision. Now, the other part of this is my mom is a, is a retired dentist and my dad's a retired doctor. So that may have had a little influence. <laughs> <laughs> the subconscious, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. So you went into undergrad at Emory and you kind of decided within that time frame for sure you were applying to medical school, um, assuming you went straight into medical school and mm-hmm. tell us, uh, you know, how that path uh, laid out for you and deciding on a specialty. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I pretty much, I mean, from the time that I decided in eighth grade, I, that was pretty much my track. Like it never went off course. And, and so I was pre-med from the time that I got into Emory. And um, I actually, during my first year, it was, I believe it was between my first and second year of residency, I mean, of um, medical school, I met a physician, a family medicine physician out in, uh, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, for those who don't know, out in Douglasville, which is just west of Atlanta. And I followed him, I sort of uh, shadowed him for the summer. And it was just the most amazing experience. Like he was a full spectrum family doc. So that means he was doing procedures in the office. He was delivering babies. He was, you know, it was like really a variety. It was fun. And that was the moment that I decided family medicine was probably going to be the specialty for me, Um, specifically because I know I get bored easily. And um, as evidenced by, I'm on my third career now. (laughs) And And so I thought, well, you know, if I went into a specialty that just did one thing, I'd get bored super fast. Um, so that's how I ended up in family medicine. Yeah. Can I back up just a little bit? Sure. And uh, so your, your mom was a dentist and your father was a physician. So I'm kind of 
interested in, because we've had other people who have had parents that were, that were doctors and went to medical school. Mm -hmm. And the question I'm always kind of interested in is how did that impact your experiences in medical school? What I mean by that, did you know what you were getting into because you had a family with physicians in it or what, when you entered medical school and really started getting into rotations where you're like, holy smokes, I didn't realize, you know, this is what dad was doing, or this is more than I thought, or I never was exposed to this. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of, kind of curious about that, that relationship was like. It's weird. I was clueless until I got into residency. Okay. Um, so my mom and my dad separated when I was young. So I never grew up with my dad. So I never had the personal experience of what it was like to have a parent in the house as a physician. My mom owned her own practice. So I always call her the original entrepreneur in my life, um, which is I think where I got my entrepreneurial spirit from. So she pretty much determined her schedule. So what I saw growing up is a woman who, you know, she did what she loved. She made her own schedule. She made good money. And I was the, the resident dental assistant from the time I was in about the eighth grade, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's the, that's the aspect of it that I saw. Meanwhile, I knew peripherally that my dad, he um, did after residency, he did National Health Service Corps on an Indian reservation in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. So I knew he was working hard, but it wasn't until I got into residency that we had the conversation of how hard he was actually working. when I was having the conversation with him like what did I get myself into he was like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) he couldn't say anything before (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah sometimes you don't really you don't you don't really know it till you're you're in it and uh (laughs) you know um I guess what are some of the things that beyond just kind of that that realization there was there anything about medicine in general aside from just the residency rigor, um, you know, is there anything that, that surprised you that you didn't really expect um, about the life of medicine? I think it was, um, for me, how constricting it was. You see, I, I'm, my, my uh, trained specialty is family medicine, but I've always been interested in integrative medicine. Like that was sort of my specialty outside of my specialty once I graduated from residency, but I got interested in that way before I even started going to medical school even. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went to Morehouse School of Medicine. They sort of empowered that type of creativity and that type of exploration. And luckily my residency, um, the mentor, my mentor, he did as well, but in general, it wasn't a practice to to encourage things outside of the traditional. And so I found it very constraining and constricting, uh, especially these short 15 minute visits where you couldn't really get to know the patient and really converse about what's going on with them. Um, And that was sort of what I had seen when I shadowed the family doc before and he had his own practice so he could pretty much run it how he wanted that he got to sit down with and connect with and that um, inability to do that is what I think surprised me the most how constricting and constraining it was. Yeah, I, I like that whole constrictive kind of description because I think there's there's something to say about um, allowing the growth of not just an individual. Uh, and you think of that as, you know, for a child and raising a child, like trying to, you know, understand your child and what their strengths are and whatnot. But the the rigidity of just like training and medicine and how there there is 
there is this whole like you know um if you are round peg and or if you're square peg and there's a round hole like they're mm -hmm. just there's it's like there's no in between it just seems like you have to follow this path you get on the treadmill of training and yeah. um you kind of lose sense of paying attention to you and and what who you are and what makes you thrive and instead just keep doing what's expected of you the next question would be this integrative interest mm -hmm. when did that peak or combine into your traditional training at what point did you kind of like layer that in <laughs> The truth is I started layering it in in medical school. Right. Um, I was one of those weird people who uh, I read traditional Chinese medicine texts mm. alongside of our texts. Um, I was very, very regimented in the way I studied. And mm. I was so into the, the like traditional Chinese medicine and the integrative aspect and the yoga and the meditation that I just I just made it integrate into what I was doing to make sure that it made sense for me to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And so um, formally though, after I got out of residency, almost immediately I started training in acupuncture formally and, um, and training in integrative modalities like you know, herbal and functional medicine. Uh, and a lot of that, I came out in 04 so it was before, it was like right around the time when Andrew Wall was just starting his integrative medicine fellowship. Um, and I ended, and I didn't go into that fellowship. It was $40,000 and I was straight out of residency. So mm -hmm. I was like, mm -hmm. I'll pass. But I did do several different programs and it happened almost immediately. And I ended up starting my, my integrative medicine practice pretty soon. Well, the first one, the first one that failed pretty soon after residency. And then the second one that, that was successful in 2007. So, can, so when you left residency, then did you go on and were you independent? Did you try to open up your own practice or did you go into a practice? And Yeah, I, I never signed a contract to go into a practice because I knew that if I did that, that I would get sucked in, mm -hmm. um, you know, sucked in by the money, sucked in by, oh, I'm comfortable and then I'm gonna have a family and then I'm gonna, it's gonna be 10 years down the line and where did my life go? Like, I just had the foresight to know that that would, could happen to me. Um, and part of it was that I had seen my, my senior residents as a, as a younger resident go out and, and sign these contracts and, and hate what they were doing. And I was just like, that's not gonna be me. So I need to explore um, what it is that I wanna do. And when I discovered the, the lovely locum tenens, uh, it was my opportunity to do that. And that's what I did. I did locums for the first uh, three or four years while I explored. And then for the next five years while I built my practice. Wow. I, I think that's a really good point. And, and I hope the, the listeners really focus in on that because you, you don't think your perception is going to change, but sort of like when we were talking about you going to medical school, you don't know what you're expecting, right? You don't know what to expect until you get in there. And the same thing with practice, you're like, well, that won't happen to me. I can sign it and I'll just maintain everything. Well, when all of a sudden the paychecks start coming in and I mean, for a physician career, golden handcuffs is a very wonderful way to state it because mm -hmm. you have been indebted for so long and uh, you're now you're making money and all of a sudden your, your, your income goes up dramatically to, even though you have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt on the side. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, that perceptual shift is something I don't think people necessarily appreciate. So I'm, you know, pretty impressed that, that you saw that so quickly uh, and coming out and made that active choice. That's not an easy choice to make. 
when you're like, yeah. I could sign a contract and I could be making 200, 250,000 a year, or I could do something Probably. else. And, and who knows, you know, and, and much more income unpredictability. So yeah. Wow. A lot yeah. of foresight there. Well, I want to just, you know, say there was some, uh, there was something else that played into that. And it was my experience in residency. You know, I, I came to my second year of residency. I, I came to face to face with, um, a major depressive episode and near um, suicidality. And, and I think that woke me up. I think that woke me up. You know, I, I tell this when I talk to, when I do my talks, like in conferences and whatnot, I often tell the story that, you know, when I was uh, in my second year, there was a night and I had the, I had the, when they say means motive and opportunity, I had the pills and I was post-call. So I was already tired and I quit life. And luckily I didn't follow through, you know, I had the pause enough to pick up the phone, but it was like one of those moments where you wake up and you're like, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to be able to thrive in a traditional model. Like I have to do something different. And I think that stuck with me and that informed a lot of my choices. Um, and you're right. Like I, cho I, I chose a different path in, inadvertently chose a, a more a difficult path, but it has paid off. I would not change one iota of a thing that I've done up until this point, because it has given me um, the story. It has given me where I am today. It's given me the opportunity to help others, other physicians and other people the way I do. So. Well, speaking of that, I'd love to go uh, in that direction because obviously you, you realize that the sense of autonomy and developing your career around who you are versus the other way around was really important. You, you obviously have done gone beyond just the traditional clinical integrative, your own practice after locums. Can you kind of talk a little bit about why you did additional things and what those things were? Yeah. So uh, a little call back to, I get bored easily. Um, I, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I loved my practice. I still love the practice of integrative medicine, but what I got bored with was seeing one patient after another. And I had kind of a cush life, you know, I was, you know, I built my practice. I built it through the last recession. Um, I made my own schedule. I didn't have children until, I mean, a, a child until I was later. So I was without a child for most of that time. So I just kind of did what I want, how I wanted, made the money I made. And then at some point I thought to myself, this is, is this all there is? Like, there's gotta be more. And that's the burnout that I began to experience. Like I'm not making a difference that I really wanna make. And, and then I started to think about, well, what could, difference could I make? And I started talking to my colleagues and hearing this whole thing around burnout and reduced sense of accomplishment before it was a thing, before it was a, you know, a term. And I thought, well, maybe that's what I can do. Like for all, for every patient that one patient that I help, or for every one doctor that I help, I help thousands of patients. And that's, that was like the first time that it came to me that I could go and coach doctors in the realm of burnout. And then it kind of got, um, I just, it just kind of morphed from there. It wasn't, it was, it wasn't a fully an intentional morph into entre entrepreneurship. It was just it was such a demand for me to coach other, and I coached doc moms specifically. Um, it was such a demand for the coaching that I ended up selling my practice 
and going full-time into that. And then other physicians wanted to know how I did that. And because I had run a business for 10 years, right, that, that integrative medicine practice for 10 years successfully, um, and had done all of the business training and marketing stuff and, you know, all of these various trainings along the way, I could, I could show them. And that's how I ended up in entrepreneurship. And, you know, there's, there's more to that story. I, during the time I was practicing in integrative medicine, I became a, a master hypnotherapist and practice of neurolinguistic programming. And I also became a trainer. So that's this new morphing, which is training other physicians to be coaches in that capacity. Wow. There, there's so many directions um, <laughs> I know. this could go. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, and I, I think this is something that for, uh, I'll speak for myself too, but, but I think as physicians, when you shift from something you've been trained to do into a realm that maybe there's like um, a little voice in your head that makes you think, who am I to do this? Or maybe you just kind of keep yourself small because of concerns about, you know, maybe these subconscious thoughts about how, um, you know, you may not do it perfectly or what are people going to think or, or all of those things. Is there anything like for physicians listening that um, maybe would be helpful for them for reframing how, you know, when you go through that mm -hmm. shift, cause I, it's, I'm sure, yeah. and I'm assuming you had some moments of like having to train yourself in a different way of how you think about yourself. So you could do these great things without, yeah. you know, basically keeping yourself small. Absolutely. It's, this is, um, to say I had all of those things. What are people going to think? Who am I? Who am I to coach other physicians? Who am I to say I'm an expert in burnout? Who am I to say to coach other physicians around um, entrepreneurship? I don't have an MBA. Um, I have, you know, MBA from the streets, but <laughs> I don't have, like, I didn't go to business school. Who am I? Like, I had all of those conversations. But what I'll say is it, I, I had to learn to look at what I'm committed to. And my commitment, my higher commitment was to serve other physicians, was to have people experience the kind of freedom and fulfillment that I had was able to create for myself. Um, because, I mean, I saw the writing on the wall with, with our industry before all of me. COVID, I think, has magnified it to 1000% but it's always been there. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to be able to be a place where people can know, yeah, you can create a career that you design, that you love, whether it's in clinical medicine or not. And that there is much more to our skill set than in the office. Yeah, you can stay in the office and you can continue to do clinical medicine and serve patients. But if you want to have a side gig and you want to, to be a coach, and you want to integrate that in, or you want to invest in real estate, or you want to be a consultant, like that's out there for you too. And so for me, it was the higher commitment. And when I um, work with my, my docs, I, that's, what I, that's what I frame them around. I said, look, what is your why? What is your higher commitment? Uh, because that's what pulls you along. And for me, the other big commitment was I'm a single mom. So to be able to be there for my son, hundred percent, I'm a late bloomer, you know, you know, 40, be 46 soon. And my son is six, do the math. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, I had been in my career my entire life and it was my turn to be with my son. And that's what, 
that was the other big commitment is freedom. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm Kevin. Did you have? Yeah, I, keep going. I can go again. <laughs> okay. Um, so, how did you market to? I mean, how did you market yourself to other physicians? Or you know, I, I'm sure I don't know that I would almost think that there's a moment where you think you know asking your physicians to pay you like how do you how did you kind of like market and figure out what to charge like how did you how'd you do that well um I had training once again <laughs> uh I I basically I set up what's called a funnel I do what's called attraction marketing I don't chase clients I let them come to me mm -hmm. because what I know about us is that we don't like to be told nothing <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me I need, you know, when I first started coaching, people, docs were like, what the hell is coaching? You know, like, what is that anyway? I don't need no coach, <laughs> you know, yes. but then I ran, I did advertising I did, you know, I did social media advertising, but that's, that's what we do as a business. You, you advertise. And then I allowed physicians who heard my message and related to me to come to me. And some people followed my blog for a while before they ever booked a call with me. And I also, I do complimentary discovery calls so that people can see if I'm a right fit. Cause like, once again, I don't chase clients and I don't take everyone. We have to be a good fit because that's how you get the best results. That's that trust and that rapport. So that's basically how I did it. Marketing, advertising, attraction. I call it attraction advertising, letting them come to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I'm assuming just like you said, social media, like Facebook and yeah, Facebook, um, uh, some, some YouTube, uh, some LinkedIn, I'm on all platforms. I think primarily most of my clients come to me from Facebook mm -hmm. and I do Facebook ads and I'm in a lot of groups. And at this point, a lot of people kind of know what I do. So I do get some referral as well. Interesting. Hmm. Um, Kevin, any other well, I'd be just kind of interested in hearing since with, with physician coaching, what do you feel is the number one question that they're coming in with? Like, what is it? The, the number one struggle you see with the majority of physicians that you've worked with, what, what does that tend to be? Well, so because I'm a business coach, the number one thing is I have an idea. Is it valid? Will people pay? And how do I get started? Yeah. yeah. And, and the biggest I always say 80% mindset, the biggest barrier that, that the hurdle that people have to get over in order to really launch is in their mind, in their mind. It's like that knowing that, and I validate the idea. If the, if the idea is bad, I'm going to tell them, well, maybe we should think of it this way. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, your idea sucks, but you know, like maybe we should think of it this way or what else could we think of? But if the idea is good, which most of the docs who come in and talk to me, they got some great ideas. Then they need to know though, that their idea is a valid, you know, their business idea is valid. It's, it's um, marketable. Uh, it can be profitable. And once they can get that idea and the rest is just logistics. So I'm assuming some of that's, oh, sorry, Kevin, were you about? Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just rolling today. Um, so I'm assuming NLP is uh, the neuro-linguistic programming. Um, I'm not an expert or, of that at all. It's just like a basic description. Can you just explain what that is for those that haven't heard that? 
Absolutely. So um, NLP or neurolinguistic programming, it is a set, it's like a methodology and a set of tools and processes that allows you to understand the unconscious mind, understand what's behind the curtain, how you think, how you, why you do the things you do, um, why you behave the way you do and why people respond to you. And when you can understand that and remove a lot of the cobwebs of negative thought and limiting decisions at their root cause, then you can be free to take action in the way you want, whether it's in your relationships, um, in your job, starting a new business. So it's basically moves the, the obstacles, the internal obstacles out of the way of you performing at your highest level. And it gives you new tools for communication in a way that lowers resistance in others and has you be very clear and intentional and the way you use your language so that you can produce these new results in your life. So you guys, most people out there might've heard of Tony Robbins. Mm -hmm. That's the basis of his work, uh, but he does it differently. He's been trained in NLP and so have I. And we, I just, we just use it differently. In fact, we were trained by the same trainer. Except he never got certified because he got kicked out of a certification. <laughs> you know that. Good for you for knowing that. I wasn't yeah. gonna throw him under the bus like that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, I think it's really interesting though because in people's opinions of Tony Robbins can be all over the place. But what I mean, he's definitely a dynamic individual, mm-hmm. and we and this sort of takes it back to this idea of imposter syndrome that a lot of physicians suffer from mm-hmm. is where we're. And I think a lot of it comes from what we require, and rightly so training, certification, et cetera, right? We have all that stuff. And so then we get concerned when we're trying to define a new business or create a new path or learn a new skill. You know, what are the certifications I need? And yet for a lot of things um, in the business world, for example, you don't necessarily need all these certifications. You need to have the skill set mm-hmm. and go out and practice them. And I, and I love about that. The Tony Robbins story is very early in his career, he started learning uh, NLP and he got really excited about it. And he's like, let's go out and start helping people. And he started doing it and he was helping people. And they're like, well, you can't, you have to wait for your certification. He's like, why in the hell do I have to wait before I can use this stuff? So um, I think it's just a great example of people Mm -hmm. going out learning and then applying Mm -hmm. rather than waiting for somebody else to define you. You can't do this until I say you can. Absolutely. Now we're not talking surgery, right? That that's a difference. Ah! (laughs) I'm practice surgery just because you feel like doing it. Uh, (laughs) Other things, I think, you know, relatively low risk that can really have a a lot of benefit. And the other thing, you know, I want to kind of touch on that you've you've sort of brought up was if you've gone through medicine and you've done the training that we have, it's not like you can't learn stuff. You know, yeah, it's. it's, you've done it. So, so all these things that people think are so complicated and they're waiting for approval on, you can do this stuff. So, yeah, it's, I mean, once you've been through medical school or residency, come on guys, it's nothing like that. I did my trainer's training and, and, and it was, it was intense. Like there are things that are intense. Like the first year of your child's life is intense because you know, sometimes you don't sleep, but (laughs) we didn't sleep in residency for what, three, four, five years. So Hey, what's one year? That's that's kind of how I viewed it. I was like, okay, when I had my son who didn't sleep through the night until he was 15 months, I thought, okay, you know, I can I can go a year without sleep. I did this for three years. I got this. Because we had our kids during residency, and I'm like, yeah, and we had actually our first in our when I was an anesthesia once. We had just we we're just finishing our internship, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, this is just internship, except it's just Q1 call. That's all. That's all it is. <laughs> I love it. Q1 call. I love it. That's, that's exactly what it is. 
Oh yeah. man. And you might be able to share if you have, you know, if you have uh, you know, partner, you know, as parents, and you might be able to call it Q2 if you take turns. <laughs> right, exactly. not quite as bad. <laughs> oh, man, well, yeah. Then you're scheduling your your calls around the nights that you're on. That was the hard part, you know. Oh man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's tough. Well, my Maisha, do you mind letting people know um where they can find you if they want to just, you know eavesdrop on what you're saying out there or connect with you to maybe get some help or coaching? Yeah, absolutely. So um, physicians who are, uh, basically, I'm going to give you the, the central page and then that's going to direct you from where you want to go. Um, DrMaisha.com. So it'll, if you're interested in more entrepreneurship coaching, you can reach me from that page if you're interested in more of the mind remapping or even if you think, hey, I want to learn this NLP stuff. Um, I do have a course coming up in, in the winter. We just opened registration. So if you're okay. interested in that, you can reach me through drmaisha.com, all, um, both businesses and on social media, it's everything is backslash Dr. Maisha. So facebook.com backslash Dr. Maisha, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, and uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not really active on Twitter, YouTube. Okay. If you want to watch, I do videos all the time these days which is okay. interesting given that I'm an introvert. If you're an introvert, you can have a business and be, put yourself out there. I just want to say yeah. that. Yeah. PSA, that's the PSA for the day. But yeah, Dr. Maisha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, my husband laughs at me because I'm more of an introvert than, I mean, he's definitely an extrovert, but he's always astounded. Like I'm the one that once a video camera turns on and I have something to say and I feel like compelled to share it with the world. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm like he's like who are you right, <laughs> right. like, there's other person that emanates from from the video camera but yeah that people shouldn't be afraid of it, it is awkward at first um mm -hmm. looking at an inanimate object um <laughs> but uh then you get used to it and you just kind of forget it. you just be yourself and yeah believe in yes. what what your higher purpose is and it's a lot easier so well that's why i love podcasting because we get to look at each other, even though it's on a computer screen, I get to, you know, even interact with people. So, and, and for those who don't know, I have also a podcast, Next Level Physicians Thriving Outside the Box. So. Oh, great. We'll make sure to add those links. Um, we'll have a YouTube video version of oh, this, cool. but, um, you know, of course we have all the audio podcasts and all the mm -hmm. popular sites, but they can look on the YouTube um, video and it'll show all your links too. Zoom cool. how you want. If you if you want to see my my co-hosts and guests beautiful faces, you know, then you want to watch the video. I, I obviously have, I have a face that's built for radio, so really you should listen to me on the audio. You always say that. Yeah, look at your skin; it's so smooth and so so baby soft, though. It's my bad lighting that I was complaining. I know. Well, it, 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 it totally washed you out, and you look like Casper earlier. But I, I look so like good. Casper on a good day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't tan. I just turn red. You know, it's I know. <laughs> Mr. Lobster. <laughs> but Maisha, thank you so much for coming on today. It was absolute pleasure to talk with you, hear your story. And it, um, again, really some great insights early on. You know, it was some of us that <laughs> took some heavy duty learning experiences and you, you know, you, you learn so early on to take in control of your life and practice. So absolutely, you know, that's phenomenal. Some really good insights, really good tools and techniques. And I would heavily uh, urge people to talk with you if they have these questions about imposter system, uh, syndrome and coaching. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, 
for everybody else out there, this is the Change Physician Podcast. Make sure you join the community at thechangephysician.com. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Kukara, with my co-host, Dr. Melissa Katie, and our fantastic guest, Dr. Maisha Claiborne. And until next time, stay well. Thank you for joining us today on the Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.